0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kat Sadler, and it sure is a beautiful day. After such a bleak year, it's time for some joy, and I cannot wait for you to hear my fresh and fun new show. I crack open about mom life, relationships, wellness, and beauty, all the things. Plus, I have provocative conversations with some of the most fascinating and famous faces in pop culture. I'm here to lift you up and make you think. Check out It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with me and you every Tuesday.
1: I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to the Ally Colbert Show. Good morning. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Ali Colbert Show. I'm your host, Allie Colbert. And we have a fun episode for you today. How's everything going? How's your week, folks? Oh, you're not answering me? Just talk, Just say it out loud and I'll pretend I heard you. Last night I watched Bad Vegan. Bad Vegan. It is the story of uh, Sarma, I want to say her last name is Melengar. I don't know how to pronounce it. And she is the chef and businesswoman who was the owner and co-founder of Pure Food and Wine and One Lucky Duck, both vegan raw food restaurants in New York City. And both businesses closed in 2015 when staff walked out because she didn't pay them. And the whole store, she was later arrested for fraud uh, and convicted in 2017. And the documentary on Netflix, Bad Vegan, is all about what the fuck went down. And my summary of it is that it is the story of a woman who fell in a situation I would say she fell in love, but to me that's not so clear. She fell into a situation with a man she met on Twitter because he was commenting with Alec Baldwin on Twitter, and Alec Baldwin was a fan of her restaurant, so she had some sort of connection with him, and I guess was then looking at who he was tweeting with and DM'd someone on Twitter, and this man proceeded to essentially con her out of, you know, I think it ended up totaling like $6 million. And that includes money from her mother, money from her friend, money from her cousin, money from her neighbor, whatever. But the story of how he got this money out of her is, is, is very bizarre. Because, you know, and I'm realizing we, we got a lot of stories of people that are being conned lately. Like this is the, the number one subject for television and film right now. We have Bad Vegan. We have the dropout on Hulu about Theranos. We have Inventing Anna about Anna Delvey. We have We Crashed about the founders of We Worked on uh, Apple TV. We have the Tinder swindler. If you are not conning someone, what the fuck are you doing in this day and age? Con someone. That, that seems to be the ticket to how to become famous in 2022. Honestly, successful at this point. We Work, Theranos, these things were fucking huge. You got to con people, folks. You have to con someone. So my ask is find someone and just con them. Now, honestly, though, you know, Sarma was an interesting case. And uh, it's really the remarkable story of a vegan who is, you know, surprisingly highly irritating. No, she's actually not irritating at all. I didn't find her to be annoying one bit. I find her to be really cool in terms of like oh you're cool but also just like cool like contained and she has this like very contained energy towards the whole thing and i'm unclear as to whether or not that's like her general vibe or if she's still recovering from like i don't know i don't know like it's it's very hard to to distinguish between and you'll, you'll have to watch it but it's very hard to distinguish like it, how much of a victim she is, how complicit, complicit she is. People like to throw around the term brainwashed. People are brainwashed. Like, you know, I, I don't know if it's so easy to be brainwashed. Like, is it is it like are you just like brainwashed? Like you hang out with someone a few times, you're brainwashed. Like, I, I don't know about that. Oh, he was brainwashed. Like, what do you think that means? Brainwashed is, is my are my grandparents brainwashed because they watch Fox? I guess so. Anyway. Uh, I really liked the documentary. It was bizarre and fun to watch. And I would love Sarma to come on the podcast. So I've reached out to Sarma's team. I've DM'd Sarma on Instagram. Let's get Sarma on the pod. You know, she said a few things in the Netflix documentary, if you haven't seen it, um, where she was like, her and Alec Baldwin had a connection at Pure Food and Wine when he would come in. And she has some regret over not uh, like following through on that relationship. Uh, Sarma, Alec has a lot going on right now. I'm pretty sure he just murdered someone. So I'm not sure why she's kind of throwing that out in the ether like, you know, Alec, if you're listening. Alec is, I'm pretty sure, waiting waiting his own trial and he's locked up in a cage somewhere with fifteen children from a woman who pretends she's from Spain. So honestly by that metric, Sarma would have been the much safer choice. Yes, Sarma yes, Sarma did spend her time in Rikers but she's not lying about the fact that she's from Spain, which is a whole different. Like, I guess Alec is attracted to um, to some complicated people. I don't want to say too many things about Sarma that are questionable because I want her on the podcast. All right. She's a talented chef. She clearly was the face of this restaurant that was booming. Do I have questions about the fact that she didn't pay people and defrauded people out of millions of dollars? Yes. Do I think we should give her a new restaurant and see what happens? Yes. 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 Okay? Because I like a vegan lasagna just as much as the next person. Do people like vegan lasagna? Look, she was ahead of the time, people. Oat milk, almond milk, soy milk. So uh, let's give her some more money. Anyway, write in with your thoughts. I want to hear what you think of Bad Vegan. Email the podcast with your questions, your confessions. Please, folks, reach out. Send us an email at the podcast, the Show at gmail.com. That's the Ally Colbert Show at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. And on today's episode of the show, we have on therapist Amanda White. She joins the pod to discuss her book, Not Drinking Tonight. And we talk about narcissism. That's another term people love to throw around. Narcissism, brainwash, codependency, enmeshment. Okay. We talk about. You know, this myth that you shouldn't go to sleep angry. That was a fun one. You know, stalking your exes on Instagram, tips for self-care, all that good stuff. It's a really fun episode. She's a therapy who gets it. Dare I say she gets it. So, uh, you know, leave a comment if you like the episode, which none of you will do. Love you guys. You're all lazy just like me. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. People, post it on your Instagram story. I'm not going to tell you again. Except I will every single episode. Post a moment you liked on your Instagram story. story screenshot it. Tag me. Please, please do this. This helps a lot. This, uh, this is where I get my endorphins. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Have a good week. I was curious if you have people reaching out to you from the Instagram page being like, can I see you? And are yes. You like, yes, they do.
0: I also just personally, ever since my account got bigger because of what I share, It's just Mm -hmm. not healthy for someone who follows me and like really likes me to be my client because they know too much about me. They might put me on a pedestal in some way. So I haven't accepted new clients for like many years. And I think it's really good that I don't because I think it could just cause some issues.
1: You know, I, I totally get that. And what that's reminding me of, sorry, I, we're fostering a dog and it's just, it's, he's just whining right now. And I love him, but I, you know, I, I'm running low on patients. Yeah. So <laughs> I watched this show called Couples Therapy on Showtime. Yeah. Did you see it? I did. I did. And I was absolutely obsessed with the therapist on that show. Yeah. Not trying to make you, not trying to make you jealous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think her name was Orna. Mm-hmm. And I I was so awed by how she, I don't know, therapized her patients in <laughs> session that I reached out to her to, you know, see if I could have a consultation with her. Yeah, and I've been in therapy. I've been in therapy for almost seven years now. And this isn't my first time in like the ring. And I say it like we're fighting and, you know, I was just curious and her it was she was aside from being expensive. She wasn't accepting new. I think she had like an insane rate, like six hundred dollars a session and didn't take insurance, which I'm like, okay, I get it. You're like the showtime doctor. Right. Um, But I I was so and this is so fitting for me and my listeners know I get like kind of obsessed with people and things, but like I was so into this idea I had of her in my mind that I started thinking if I saw her, I would definitely set myself up for failure because I'm, I'm like into like the celebrity of her. Yeah, totally. And like how I view her as showing up for these patients. And it just, it would actually, I would probably need to see a therapist to talk about <laughs> my therapy sessions with her and like unpack what the fuck was going on there. And in a way, you're right, but also in a way, when therapists and I see this all the time, you see these like TikTok therapists, uh-huh. when you create this platform for yourself, in some ways it kind of negates the way that therapy is meant to take place. Like you you can have this platform, yes, and therapy is a individual private locked door like confidential space, so like there's something kind of strange about the fact that those two things are now standing up side by side. Totally, totally. And I, I mean, I feel like I do this also because I'm
0: similar to you. I also get like obsessed with people and like, you know, <laughs> put people on pedestals sometimes and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is why I, you know, which is why I don't accept clients. And I think it's also strange because, I mean, clients have a right to say, this is my therapist, I'm in therapy and break their confidentiality. And at the same time, there's something weird about if I have a client, for example, who is loving therapy with me and shares my stuff and is like, I'm in therapy with this therapist, then her friends or their friends could follow my page and like know that, that, you know, they can know things about, you know, it's more. That's
1: very weird. Right. That's weird. You have clients that reshare that repost. No, no, no,
0: I don't. But I'm saying hypothetically, if someone because none of my clients have seen me before kind of my Instagram blew up. Right. But my fear would be. Yeah. I've seen it happen with other therapists where someone share, you know, a client shares and talks about you, but then their friends or colleagues or family member know you. And it creates this weird dynamic where they may feel like they know what's happening in your therapy, which I would never yes. want.
1: Oh, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. I didn't consider that. Like the idea that someone's like retweeting their therapist yeah. is like, so that's so fucking it weird. happens. It happens. Yeah. And they'll be like, look how great my therapist is. And I'm like,
0: oh, like and, have uh, a choice like, to do that. But, oh, I feel weird about
1: that. <laughs> right. Totally. But it's also like how people are on sh- on social media. Is, is separate. It's yes. not, that, not that it's not an accurate reflection always, but it's totally separate from how these people present themselves and behave in real life. So the idea that, uh, that what your therapist is posting on social media is in some way a valid reflection of the work you're doing in the room yes. is such a weird... It's just... It's conflating two totally separate things, but I could see how everyone would make that connection. And it's... Remind, I don't know why I'm thinking about this now, but I had a therapist... And I think people don't talk about this enough that like finding my therapist was a lot like dating. Yes. Like I saw a bunch of therapists before I kind of became exclusive with (laughs) (laughs) with my (laughs) with my current therapist. And I even like I have some like regrets, not not I don't know if there are regrets, but I I see the way I exited some of my like initial therapy relationships when I wasn't totally happy with the dynamic. And I might have changed that had I been more, let's say, evolved or skilled at handling myself in relationship at the time. But I remember I was seeing this one therapist and I was seeing her because she was a psychiatrist and I needed refills on my prescription. Yeah. And I was like not in therapy at the time, but I needed my, my meds. And I started seeing her and I didn't, it wasn't a match. I was like, I'm not going to marry you, but like, whatever, <laughs> the sex is okay. you know. <laughs> and I remember I, I always do this thing where I like to, Oh God, this dog. Hey, Leo. Get over here. He's eating an iPhone cord. I'm so sorry. My girlfriend wanted to foster this dog and now she's not home, and it's totally my responsibility, which is why I'm really excited to start a family with her. Leo. <laughs> Leo. So I always like to Facebook stalk. He got neutered. Um, my therapists. Yeah. I like to search them and see what I can find online, which, like, am I self sabotaging? Like, I don't know, Amanda. Let's talk about it. But I found her on Facebook and I remember she posted photos of her, like, the room where she talks to her um, patients in. Mm. I guess, what do you call that? Your office? I guess that's their office. But it was like, can't wait for like... And I I felt so... I felt like I had my nudes leaked. I was like, Mm. are you kidding me? That's the couch where I, like, take my clothes off. Obviously, I'm making these weird analogies. But it felt like violating. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I wasn't like into that, and I probably wouldn't do well with a therapist that's like an influencer. Actually, this is like not this wouldn't. This would bring up a lot of issues in me. I'd be like, how does my therapist have more followers than me? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it's a complicated dynamic for sure. And I totally agree with you about it takes time, and sometimes you do need to see different therapists. I think the other really interesting thing that happens is that right, like social media is not therapy. So I might talk about or share things on social media or create content about something that I would never, ever bring up or tell one of my individual clients.
1: So what's an example? What's an example of that?
0: Like alcohol use, right? Like I talk a lot about alcohol use and I have certain clients who have no problem with alcohol and we don't ever talk about it. Right. And I think it would be weird if I like brought it up because it's not an issue, for them. So if I was content, right. Like sometimes when you're on Instagram and you are fed content, you're kind of like, what is this? Why is this keep coming up for me? What, you know, what is Instagram trying to tell me?
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And we
0: can feel defensive or, you know, like I think Instagram talks a lot about harsher boundaries and firmer boundaries. And for a lot of people that I work with, Sometimes they need softer boundaries. They need to practice letting people in and trusting, you know, more people. So it is an interesting dynamic where a lot of my clients, some of what we do is they'll be like, this thing popped up or this person wrote this. And do you think that I need to do this (laughs) or not? And I have to tell them, like, we could work on this or no, you don't have to ever worry about that because that's not your tendency.
1: Right. That's interesting. Okay, I have a question and then I wanna get into your book. And I wanna just say at the top of the episode Amanda White has written a book, Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. So we're gonna talk all about drinking, but just staying in this place in the conversation for one moment. Sometimes when I hear about friends talking about their therapists, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people talk about their therapists and they will quote them like the therapist they're speaking to is giving them advice. Yeah. Like the therapist says, don't do that. Or, you know, this person's not good for you. Or I think this is this. And maybe this just hasn't been my, my experience with therapy. But my understanding of therapy has always been you are, are having a neutral person hold space for you. And they're not telling you what to do. They're sort of maybe through questions gently guiding you to uncovering your own answers. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, every single person I know has a therapist that's giving them opinions and giving them to do's. Mm -hmm. And is that just not talk therapy? Am I in the wrong therapy? Is there a therapy where someone like tells me like, so you know what I'm talking about? My therapist says don't do that. Really? What fucking therapist says (laughs) don't do that? I think that
0: what people do is they collapse. You're I mean, you're totally spot on to ask this question because I think it's confusing. I think people collapse what the therapist got them to with Mm. what the therapist said. Like, if they're saying their therapist said you should break up with their significant other, my guess is they spent 10 sessions uncovering what they want, what their values are, seeing that maybe they don't align with that person. And the client probably said, oh, I think that I need to break up with them. And the therapist said, yeah, you probably do. Right.
1: Right. It's funny, but like even I could have a hard time imagining even my therapist saying, yeah, you probably do. But maybe my therapist is just like incredibly neutral. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I even feel like I'm in a place with my relationship with him. Oh, God, I'm like really dumping here where I almost like I know what I'm going to get with him. It's been Mm -hmm. seven years. Like, it's not that I'm done with therapy. I might just be done with like him. Yeah. I've almost outgrown him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I start, if I continue therapy, I might want to find a different therapist who, I don't know, brings me to different places. Anyway, maybe like Aruba once in a while. Yeah. So your book, Not Drinking Tonight, tell me about how this book came about.
0: Yeah. So essentially this book came about because one thing that I really noticed as a therapist is we can talk about a really wide range of different issues and people are pretty open to talking about their sleep patterns, their eating patterns, right? Their relationships, But when I ask someone about their drinking behaviors, they often become very defensive and it's not something that we can have just kind of an open conversation about because the typical response is, well, I'm not an alcoholic. Right. (laughs) And I wanted to write a book that kind of could talk about, I mean, there's a lot of really great books out there, you know, about changing your relationship with alcohol or quitting drinking. And I wanted one that could kind of talk about a way where we can question our relationship with alcohol, where we can ask the question, would my life be better if I drank less? And coming out of that space of having to identify that we have a problem or having to stop completely and just kind of bring more nuance to the conversation.
1: Right. And I think the idea that you're either an alcoholic or you're not is something that's come up even like, you know, I don't really drink. And I talk about this often. And I am not an alcoholic. Like I just don't like drinking really. And I I didn't really think twice about that until who was I? I was talking to someone on the podcast a few episodes ago. And I realized I don't really like drinking just because I've had several experiences drinking where I was like, I actually like hate what happens when I drink. Yeah. And it's fine. I can drink and not get drunk, but I don't really just enjoy it. So I just barely drink. Maybe yeah. I'll have a, one drink a year. And what happens is when I go out and I have conversations with people and they say, do you drink? There's this whole song and dance that takes place around expressing that you're not drinking and you're sober and you're not an alcoholic. Yes. And it becomes very confusing for people. Yeah. They're like, well, well, why is that? And I think about the culture of in high school bringing drinks to a party and that being like the star of the show. Yeah. And then in college, the entire emphasis for most, at least state schools that people go to, that you know this is what I've witnessed the the emphasis around getting blackout. Mm-hmm. Even the phrase getting blackout. Yeah. And and blacking out. And I hate to rain on people's parade. But I find something about that phrase to be so disgusting. Mm -hmm. And I know some people like there's some influencers that use this phrase to kind of express, look at me being fun and partying. And I actually think it's just signaling that you're a mess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You it know what I mean? It's so weird. I mean, yeah, it's like literally drinking to blackout is binge drinking. It's drinking to the point where you lose consciousness. And it is such a strange phenomenon where that's just considered a normal night out. And like you said, it indicates that you're fun, that you can let loose,
1: all that. Let loose. I'm like, should it, can't you have a drink and like still remember the night? Like. Right. But, pe- but I, I, I get it. I'm not trying to like judge because I do understand that this is like, this is such a popular, this is such a popular way of people expressing themselves yes. that like pausing to even consider like the real implications of that. And I'm sure people are always going, oh my God, she's so fucking annoying on her fucking sober high horse. <laughs> like, I get it. Like I'm, I've am i blacked out a hundred times too. But like, it's, there's something about it that feels so fucking reckless to me. And I'm just like, what is fun about that? Anyway, you talk about how, so I guess one of the main questions that kind of the book comes back to is like the idea that like does alcohol make your life worse
0: yes exactly
1: uh right and what are some ways that you find like say you answer that question and your your answer is mixed mm-hmm. you know yeah like I have tons of friends who I think they would say I like alcohol and sometimes it fucks me up and sometimes this and that like what is so say you're asking yourself that question you feel mixed about your answer. Like what are a few of the first steps to kind of implementing change? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think
0: it is for most people true that there are, they are mixed on it. They can think of examples where they feel connected to people and friendships would maybe suffer if they stopped drinking or cut back, but also, you know, it's negatively impacting their sleep and they don't like being hungover, and they've done things that they regret. So one of the exercises, you know, my whole book kind of isn't it's a, it's very therapeutic in that I say, I'm not telling you what to do. I don't really care whether you drink or not, but I want to give you kind of like stories and evidence and information so that you can make that informed choice for yourself. And one of the first things that I think someone can do is, I mean, we're lucky to live in a day and age where there are so many alcohol free like beer and wine and you know, mocktails and all kinds of things. So one thing that I recommend is swap like half of the the things that you're drinking for a non alcohol version and see how you feel. Cause a yeah. lot of times we get that release of stress, like especially if someone is like drinks at the end of the day to unwind, it signifies, you know. Five o'clock, something like that. A lot of times people feel that release of stress before they even finish their drink. They kind of, ah, right when they pour that glass and they like sit down on their couch. Yeah, that's so true. So, and that's because it's also, it's not just about the alcohol, it's a habit. So your brain craves like the act of it sometimes, even before you have alcohol in your system. So, one thing I recommend is. See if you get that release from an alcohol free version of something and see how that goes. You might be surprised that you get that from an alcohol free beer.
1: Right. That's, and I, I, yeah, that's so true. I used to think that I was like, why would I drink a mocktail? I was like, I don't need to sip juice. You know, I think swapping out, you know, alcohol for non alcohol, non alcoholic drinks, that is, that's like 50% of it. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other part that people, find to be intimidating is then dealing with the conversations around that. Yeah. And I've, I've found that to be tricky and I'm pretty like tough. I'm pre- yeah. I can like express myself. I'm real good with a boundary and it's still a little uncomfortable sometimes admittedly, I'm the one that I'm anticipating it to be awkward. Mm-hmm. So I then create the awkward. But how do you recommend if people, you know, if people get like, you know, I whatever, I'm saying nerdy, but like, ang- anxiousy anxious yeah. about this conversation? How do you recommend them expressing this without f- red flagging their friends? Like, well, you're cutting back on your drinking and you're, yeah. you know? Yeah, I have kind of two, two tips on that. I mean, the first yeah. one I
0: think is practicing what you want to say as like cheesy as that is, can be really helpful. It's kind of like coming up with your go-to like elevator pitch of what you want to say. If you're cutting back on drinking or not drinking, I think the other thing that really messes up this conversation is right. The second you say I'm not drinking or I don't know. Thank you. The immediate response is why?
1: Why? And it's such
0: a frustrating question, right? Because it kind of makes you feel like you need to come up with a good enough reason that this person will accept and then you can drink or not. Like, what is that? Yeah. I mean, I think we, because we say that someone, the only reason someone wouldn't drink is because they're an alcoholic or maybe if they're a woman, they're like pregnant. It creates this idea that you have to have a good enough reason to not drink because the
1: default is to drink. Yeah. Yes. And Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. So, but what it, so what is the answer to that? Well, my answer to it, I mean, I think,
0: I think when. So let's role play. Let's (laughs) role play. Well, let me tell you my tip is that I think a lot of times people give an excuse because they don't, they think that's what they need. And the problem is when you give an excuse, like you say, I have to get up early tomorrow or I'm on medication or, you know, I'm not feeling good or whatever. People continue to ask. It becomes a whole conversation. right? Someone says, oh, I used to, what are you doing? Antibiotics. Yeah. And then sometimes people will be like, well, what antibiotics? I'll look it up for you. You know, it's what do
1: you want to see my fucking chart? <laughs> Sorry, I don't want a margarita, Chloe. Yep. Jesus fucking Christ. And it's
0: wild how people will. I always joke that like people who are not very um generous will like, Offer to help you get up early and move. They'll like offer to pay for an Uber home if you're a DT. They'll like go out of their way. And you're like,
1: what? You're the most selfish person. That's so, so, yeah, they don't, they just don't want to be alone in their numbing. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So my recommendation is to not give an excuse as hard as that is. And that doesn't mean that you need to say, you know, I'm questioning my relationship with alcohol. It can just be like, I just don't feel like it. I just don't want to. I'm just not drinking tonight. And someone yeah. can say, why, why, why? They can keep asking. And you can be like, I don't know. I just don't feel like it, you know. And yeah, just, we're like, and you can over. gaslight them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> feel Wrong free. If someone why is, are you asking me? <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? My <laughs> God, how much time do you have in your hands? Like, these are the things you should go to to start uh, living a sober life. I'm joking. Yeah. I, for a while, God, I'm like really realizing I have something going on because this is interesting sometimes. And this isn't because I'm a liar, but sometimes to avoid these questions, I will say, put, give me seltzer and put it in a like a rimmed short yeah. glass with lime. And it's so funny. Like it's I'm fine with it, but I actually don't like to do the whole fucking parade mm-hmm. that takes place when people start. with the questioning oh my god people start handing out shots it's like stop trying to get everyone fucked up you can just like journal for 10 minutes (laughs) instead of like making me do a tequila shot yeah you know what I mean yeah like have you ever tried meditating instead of making every single person around you black out I just think it's funny you talk about not waiting for rock bottom
0: Mm yeah
1: yeah Which I think that is such an amazing just thought to highlight this idea that it's almost like when you're in a relationship with someone and you want to leave them, but you're like they haven't cheated and they're not abusive. They're just not the one. Yep, yep. It's like, why do we wait for catastrophe in order to shift into new ways of being,
0: you know? I think one of the reasons is that then it feels like we're not the one making the decision you know, we're not responsible. They did this or this happened. So we have to change now versus it takes a lot more guts to be like, this person isn't the right person for me. Or I, you know, I didn't like who I was when I drank. People don't accept that as much.
1: Right. You kind of, you kind of diffuse the responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yep. Going through your Instagram page, found lots of good stuff. Therapy for Women is Amanda's handle. And it's, amazing it's like very very digestible content that's in the mental health space you do a a series on instagram a therapist wants you to know yeah (laughs) that's a tweet that's a tweet format a therapist wants you to know and to me that is going back to this idea that like some people first I love that you as a therapist are doing that but it's funny the way some people like will claim authority and things because Mm -hmm. they're like my therapist told me yeah (laughs) yeah. <laughs> so it feels good that you're like disrupting that. Yeah. What are what is like maybe one of the biggest things you as a therapist want people to know? This is a great question.
0: I think off the top of my head, there is so much rigidity and black and white thinking that I'm seeing on Instagram. And part of that is the algorithm, right? Like extreme viewpoints tend to get pushed. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest markers of good mental health is someone being able to be psychologically flexible, someone mm-hmm. being able to see things from different perspectives, someone being able to take feedback and hear someone else's point of view. So if, if people can practice, I think, trying to be more psychologically flexible, that's one thing that is a huge marker in good mental health.
1: How do you practice that? A really great question.
0: I think one of the ways that you can do that is when someone gives you feedback or asks you something about yourself or whether it's your partner or your friend or your family member or whatever, practicing uh, not being defensive, which I know is really hard. But like when someone tells you that you've hurt your, their feelings or when someone tells you that this happened or whatever, trying to like picture yourself as them and trying to really understand how even if you don't agree your behavior could have come across that way i right. mean like this is such a dumb example but i was watching like real housewives of salt lake city the reunion right and like the defensiveness of of people is just insane of when someone says that they hurt your feelings you can say you're sorry even if you don't totally agree and i think that's sometimes missing in our culture that like you can offend so someone and say you're sorry for offending them And you don't have to like, so often I write, like I talk about, it's not an apology to say like, I'm sorry, you feel that way. That is
1: the biggest bullshit apology.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's like, just say you're sorry. You don't, I'm not, it's not even saying you're going to change necessarily or you agree, but you can, you can take responsibility for how your, you know, your behavior impacted
1: someone. Yeah. I think that, the defensiveness that I see, especially that's such a good example is like these Real Housewives women <laughs> is like when you're in a state of reaction, when you're feeling yourself activated and you become defensive, I would imagine maybe at least in that case, the story you're telling yourself underneath, like, no, that's not true, is like, I, I am a good person. Yes, I-, I-, I am all of these things. And, you know, you can be a good person. Your intentions can be there even though yeah. I don't know if they truly are there for some of these housewives. <laughs> but the the difference between intention and impact yeah. and this unwillingness to kind of, or, or not seeing the separation where like, even if my intention is to make you feel good, if in this podcast, I completely ignored you and you felt, wow, Ali's like, I felt ignored. It's, yep. You're not saying like, I'm a bitch. That right. is the story you told yourself based on how I showed up in this conversation. Exactly. And I think like, you know, I would like to think I've done a lot of work on myself and even like some of the language you're using, I've, I have recognized and like, I just did this program, which I've, I know I've talked about this on the podcast so much. You guys are going to want to fast forward, did this program Atlas and it, it's all about receiving feedback and self-perception and it's super amazing. But I think about all, most of the people on the planet have not done mm-hmm. real work. You know, they don't go into these programs. They're not in therapy. And I'm like, holy fuck. It's like literally amazing that like any of us get through the day. Yeah. I
0: mean, I think especially if you think about it in close relationships, in romantic relationships, I mean, it is the number one thing I see that just kills relationships is not being able to, if someone says to you, hey, babe, like, you know, you ignored me at the party or whatever, right? Like the first reaction is no, I didn't. I didn't. Right. Because they don't think of themselves as someone like you said, who is, Cavalier, or doesn't pay attention, or doesn't love them, or whatever. But it's like we all mess up. We all do things we don't mean. We all do things maybe that aren't our intention. And you can take responsibility and own your, you know, how you impacted someone, and not be a bad person, and not be admitting any of these of the stuff you're making up about it.
1: Right. I, I am the reactive person in my relationship. That's my biggest thing that I that's my mountain to work on I'm always working to be less reactive yeah I often say that I'm just an east coaster and I get lit up about something fast my voice my tone I feel it in my chest I am in this place of like I feel heat Mm -hmm. and my girlfriend does not get in that place I don't know if there's something wrong with her she doesn't she doesn't have this like fire that just lights her up. Yeah. And dealing with this has been so like, I'm so happy with the progress I've made. But it is not easy. I mean, I feel like I'm rewiring 30 years Mm -hmm. of me just being like, I see that I freak out. Yeah. And we've we've done two things that have been supportive. And one has been implementing the sacred pause, of course, Mm -hmm. of like, oh man, what you just said really like pissed me off. I'm going to now talk to you for a minute before Mm -hmm. we like keep talking, which like in the moment, that's the last thing you want to do is pause. But our new philosophy, which I just talked about on the last episode is, and this is, you're probably going to say this is ridiculous, but we call it laugh and leave. And what has happened is her and I have agreed. This was a pact we made about two weeks ago and as an experiment to see what would happen in our relationship. Anything that happens... For the next month, if you feel one way about it, you are allowed to say, ha, 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 and leave the room. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to ask a question, whatever. If, if yep. that's you feel, that's you protecting yourself. Yeah. I literally, I literally at this point, like those methods to me, that's the best I can get out of thousands of dollars worth of therapy. <laughs> it's just, it's just you laugh and a leave good the
0: room. Yeah, though, because so many people don't want to leave. They don't want to pause. They get very obsessed with what it means. You know, the whole don't go to bed angry, like BS and stuff like that. But Oh yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of the most harmful things. Yeah, because- Go to bed angry. Yeah, if you're mad at the person, don't sit there and say something that you don't mean when you're tired. I mean, a lot of stuff we say we can't take back. And even if we work through it, it can impact the relationship. So it is so much better to take a break, to go to bed angry, come back when you're, because when your nervous system is flooded, which is what happens when we get angry or activated or triggered or whatever, our rational brain is like not working very well. Like we're not able yeah. to think rationally, make, you know.
1: It's your reptilian yeah, brain, isn't it? Exactly, exactly.
0: So you, it's much better to take a break, to calm down and come back to the situation where you can fully choose your words and be present.
1: Oh, my God. I am so glad you said that because don't go to bed angry was a myth that that helped in the destruction of every relationship I've been in before this one. This is the only person I've ever dated who she insists on going to bed unresolved. And that used to drive me crazy because my interpretation of that was, how do you not care about me? You want to just leave me in this pain? No, no, no. The other option... Sorry, the other option to don't go to bed angry is stay up all night fighting. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Dude. And you're tired and you get worse. And when- that's what we're choosing. Yeah. And exactly. don't go to bed angry. It's almost like we've romanticized this idea of like, we always go to sleep happy. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. That's a crock of shit. Yep, totally. Anyway, but it, but it is very hard at times to tolerate discomfort. And yeah. I think that's what like comes up over and over again in our culture right now of like young people. Hey, sorry to throw young people under the on the under the bus. I'm a young person kind of. But like, you know, you can't tolerate like yeah. sitting with the fact that someone might not like you, yeah. or you might not be happy. And it's like you can sit with that and you won't die. It's just uncomfortable.
0: Exactly. I think we really especially with just like you know, how quick everything is with the internet and being able to get answers immediately. I think we don't have a good distress tolerance at all. And it is a skill that you can build and people don't realize that. But the more you practice, you literally can get better at sitting with it and it
1: will change your life. It will make your yeah. life much better. It's a muscle like anything else. Exactly. Like, or did you always want to be a therapist? I wasn't, tr- I
0: mean, truthfully, so I was in therapy my whole life growing up. I struggled a lot with like an eating disorder and friends and stuff like that. And then I went to college and I really hated all of the therapists I saw growing up. I lied to like all of them because I right. cared more about them liking me than doing well. But yeah. So I didn't want to be a therapist throughout that time. But then I was in therapy after college and I was with a therapist who was amazing. And that's kind of when I discovered that I had an addiction to alcohol and she changed my life. And that was when I realized that I wanted to be a therapist. So I was like, I would love to do for people what she did for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Just listening to you talk, we, t- my girlfriend and I, and we talk about this on the pod, we talk about people that get it and people that don't get it. Yeah. Just in general. You clearly like get it to me. <laughs> Thank and you. And just just saying, but I you know, I met like an alarming number of therapists mm-hmm. who like, I'm like, oh shit, like you're a therapist. Like yeah. you kind of seem loony. And some sort of them are the same, really, really loony, <laughs> Right. And it's it's sort of the same thing with teachers where you meet a few mm-hmm. teachers, you're like, damn, you hate kids. Like Yeah. Why are you a Why'd you get into this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah um another thing i wanted to talk to you about is the way we we love to throw around Mm. certain terms nowadays especially with like therapy therapy tiktok and therapy instagram even though no shade like i love your instagram but it's just it it sometimes not not you in particular i'm like sometimes your page like kind of crosses a line (laughs) um but this is something i hear all the time and i wanted to get your thoughts on this he was such a narcissist Mm. He yeah. was a total narcissist. You know what? No, he was like literally, he was a, literally a narcissist. She's a nar- narcissist, like clinical narcissist. Yeah. Thoughts on that. Thoughts on narcissism and oh, how everyone calls everyone. I know. It's interesting how everyone's ex is a narcissist. I just right, exactly. And I think the hard thing is it's
0: just like a lot of these terms, while there are definitely narcissists that exist, something I like to remind people of is like the clinical like statistics of narcissism. It's like a pretty rare disorder.
1: I don't know the statistics
0: off the top of my head, but it's a pretty low percentage of the population. Yeah. So I think that it's just such an easy write-off these days and no one, right? Like if you search narcissism, every article is signs. He or she is a narcissist signs. Your mom is a narcissist, but there are no articles that are like signs. You're a narcissist.
1: (laughs) And like, sometimes
0: you are maybe, you know?
1: Yeah. And and sometimes like no one is. And right. you're all sometimes dysfunctional. we're just
0: assholes or we just like don't get along. Or, you know, I think there's this like cultural back to kind of what we were talking about with distress the taunts. There's this cultural belief that any fighting is unhealthy or toxic. And like there are very clear ways, like conflict is healthy when done the right
1: way. Yeah. And and the right way is by that, you mean kind of going back to the conversation of go, going to sleep angry. And and what I think you're meaning by that is, is tolerating discomfort, being boundaryed, and engaging yeah. in conversation when you feel like you are able to. What? What would it be like? Oh, being open. Yes, open to feedback. exactly.
0: Being open to feedback, being able to see their point of view, being calm is like a really good thing, because I think too generationally, like are most of us our parents didn't model healthy conflict. You know, I think in general, we don't model healthy conflict. When we hear conflict, so many people are afraid of conflict because they think it means fighting and yelling and being aggressive and conflict can be disagreement, but we don't see examples, right? Like if you look at what we're exposed to in the media and stuff like that, most conflict we see is like, you know, dramatic and crazy. It's not someone... You you're telling me Mr. Big and Carrie didn't handle things. Exactly, but those are what we see and that's what we see as like fighting instead of it being boring and saying things like you were talking about with your girlfriend of being like telling someone, you know, hey, when you did this, I made up in my head this, or when you did right. that, my interpretation was this or I felt this way. You know, it's it's giving up ego and kind of giving up being right.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Like setting aside your conversation that you have to be right. Yep. Freedom's on the other side, honey. Yep. Another phrase term that like I hear a lot. And this might be more common than the narcissism is, is both codependency mm-hmm. and enmeshment. Mm, yeah. Everyone, everyone is enmeshed. What is the difference between those those two terms and you know, th- thoughts on them.
0: Yeah. So enmeshment is literally, I mean, enmeshment is like prayer <laughs> enmeshment. I mean, the best example of enmeshment is like literally often it's like a parent and a child. So it's not just codependency. It's literally mm-hmm. like the person doesn't have like a personality without that person. Like they're so enmeshed. So it's kind yeah. of a more advanced version of codependency. I'm laughing
1: because my girlfriend said she thinks we might be enmeshed after reading an article a few weeks ago. <laughs> but yeah, I'll let her, I'll let her know. That I don't have a personality. I mean, codependency
0: her. is interesting because codependency, the word came from really like parents or loved ones of people with addictions. Mm. So it's it's like changed and kind of become different over the years. But I think a lot of people are afraid they're codependent or other people label them codependent if they enjoy spending time with someone. I mean, the biggest thing I try to remind everyone on Instagram about is like, if it's not a problem for you, don't worry about it. Right. You know, like right. I know yeah. it's hard when you see like 10 signs you're codependent or, you know, you may be enmeshed if, yeah. But if it's, if your relationship works for you, even if someone else doesn't like it or wouldn't choose that relationship, it doesn't mean that it's unhealthy or codependent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that. Another thing I I wanted to talk about is this is circling a little back to drinking, but I didn't want to leave that subject behind without mentioning this is the bargaining stage or phase of figuring out your relationship with, I mean, alcohol, but insert anything, Anything, which I thought was such a great way of like seeing where this kind of comes alive for you and I, I hear people do this, I've said this in some capacity to myself about things. You know, social media is actually mm-hmm. what I say this to myself about. And and there's even a feature on your phone to help you bargain yeah. with social media. <laughs> this idea of saying, I'm not going to drink, uh, I'm not going to do shots, yeah. or I'm only going to do Instagram when I'm posting, uh, you know, a story. At least for me, I'm like posting for my profession and then I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to go check the comments. And anytime we kind of like, barter our relationship with something, what are, what are we indicating, at least in your eyes?
0: I think that we're indicating that we want a change, but yeah. we're not right. Like we're not okay with the consequences, but we mm-hmm. don't actually want to take the action and do the hard work that comes from changing because anything that we change is going to be difficult. If it's a habit, if it's something that we do, if it's something that we get a, we get some positive impact from like social media. Even we can get like dopamine hits from doing things or whatever. So, yeah, when we're bargaining, it's kind of the term is cognitive dissonance. Kind of it's kind of like you're torn. Half of you wants to do it and half of you doesn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Okay. So my brain wants the likes, but my heart wants to love myself. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, totally get it. You also said um, on Instagram, I think I saw this in a post of yours, like one of those like big grid posts with the text. You said your brain doesn't yes. know the difference between stalking your ex <laughs> on Instagram and seeing them in person. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh no, I see my ex all the time then. I thought I haven't seen her in years. What is that? What is there to make of that, though? Yeah, I mean,
0: it's interesting when you look at just the research of they've done brain scans and like the, you know, the parts of you that light up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you have a conversation with the person or the longer you spend with them is going to impact your brain differently. But it's one thing that I really work on with people when they're trying to go through a breakup and they're trying to not miss the person anymore. If we're constantly checking their social media, we still feel like we're seeing them. It's not letting you kind of move on and and heal and have that space because you're constantly looking for, okay, like when are they going to post next? Or did they like my posts? Or what is their update with this or that? And well, I don't think everyone needs to totally unfollow exes or anything like that. I think that it, if you're someone who's like really struggling with not missing the person or getting through it, I think it can be a really helpful step to not follow them or not seek out, you know, updates on their page because it kind of starts totally. the process over again. And you have to keep going through withdrawal for lack of a better word.
1: I mean, it's so true. And it. I when I read that, I also started thinking about all the celebrities I follow on Instagram and how like you guys like my brain thinks I'm friends with like Jennifer Garner. It's like, yeah, well, that's like parasocial relationships. It's such a
0: wild phenomenon that we don't even know a ton about yet, but that's exactly the way it is.
1: And what is the definition of a parasocial relationship? A
0: parasocial relationship is a relationship where you don't actually know that person, but you feel like you do because you follow them on the Internet or social media. And okay, so like that's all of you that. guys
1: with me. That's yeah. every one of my listeners with me. You guys were not friends. You're all para- and And parasocial comes from parasite, you bloodsuckers. I'm no <laughs> joking. Wow. It's that's really so weird because
0: it creates this like weird dynamic, right? Where, for example, your listeners know so much about you, but you yeah. don't really know anything about them. So there's a very weird, like, it's not a totally equal dynamic.
1: Right. I, I know that you guys are all very sad lesbians. Well, and, and, just because I'm speaking on their behalf, what are some what are some things on a high level that you would say for, I, w- I would say for anxious people, but I think that just means people. Yeah. What are like daily practices or weekly practices that anyone who after listening to this episode gets to implement into their life to live a more easeful life? That's always what I want. A more mm-hmm. easeful life.
0: I mean, I think, I think there are a couple ways I could go with this. I mean, I think like, taking breaks if we're talking about social media and stuff like that. I think oh my God, so I got men- right. Like I think about all the time how they're talking about creating the metaverse. You
1: guys unfollow me guys.
0: <laughs> but right. It's kind of like we already live in this whole right. Like social media is a right. whole world in itself. So I think trying to schedule some time in your day away from it so that you can be reminded of kind of like what your life actually is and what's going on whether that's getting outside in like nature and taking a walk or doing things just like without your phone so that you can try to practice a little bit more mindfulness. Like, I know it's not, I struggle with it too. It's not like a fun, quick fix, but mindfulness does change our brain, even in really small doses.
1: Yeah. Even
0: if you practice, not going to sleep by scrolling on your phone or not reaching for your phone immediately when you wake up even if you This t- is such a
1: big deal. It's hard. It's kind of disturbing when you think about it because like I even experienced this like when I wake up I want to grab my phone immediately. I'm like I want to check everything. And when I actually look around and like I see like the sun yeah. or like my girlfriend I'm like oh like this is my life. Like yeah. I know it sounds like I'm like insane right now but like It really like even going to sleep, watching television, Mm -hmm. like we've gotten in the habit of like we stopped watching television before we fall asleep because like you just like fucking like numb out Mm -hmm. and like you feel so ungrounded in your own life. Exactly. This is such a preachy episode. Sorry, guys. (laughs) But like, I want you all to have happy lives. Obviously, stay on TikTok. Keep following me. And of course, follow therapy for women. But other than that, you really should be limiting your time listening to these podcasts. You guys should be planting flowers and drinking tea. It's really true. It's like to
0: a podcast. I mean, I think if you can like one thing that I think about is if you can choose visual audio, like visual or audio, but not right. both like those are that's going to be more of a income. Watch a
1: silent experience. film.
0: Or like listen to a podcast and go for a walk and like experience, you know, just, life or something. Like I that.
1: totally, I totally agree. And I just want to tag this at the end before people write into me and say, you didn't say this. They're going to say, what are your thoughts on not drinking on dates? And you've mm. shared many, many things to do. Aside from drinking on a date, you could do meth. You could, <laughs> no, you could, you know, whatever, go to the movies, get food, throw an axe, play tennis, go for a hike, all this, all of this stuff. What I think at least comes back to for me is I'm like interviewing myself. I'm so sorry Amanda. But <laughs> I think it comes back to for me is the alcohol on the date isn't just the activity, but what it does is it like inspires like something to happen yes. between you and the person you're on a date with. So that part is what I want to acknowledge with you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know there are like different sort of games and this sounds kind of like cheesy that you can like do on a date, but what do you think is an effective way to kind of like bring up, I don't know, you know, what are ways to drop our boundaries and give a blowjob even without alcohol, man? (laughs) I mean, I think one
0: thing that's interesting is that if you're so in the habit of drinking on a date or drinking to loosen up, you forget that you can actually get into that like looser, more open mindset without alcohol, depending on your environment. Like, I've been sober, and I'm sure you have this experience too. Allie. Like I've, you know, like I've been to weddings, and I've like gone clubbing sober, and it's amazing how you can almost feel drunk when you're like in the right environment with lots of people. And I think we rely on alcohol to do that. But if you're having an amazing conversation with someone, or you're in a really cool, beautiful place, or um, just like, you know, I don't know, maybe you're at a bar and there's like, you know, cool branding, whatever you can feel a lot more open and connected to that person without alcohol. The problem is most of us have never done it before. So we don't believe that it's possible. And it's like everything else we've talked about. It's a skill that you have to learn how to do.
1: Right. It's it's funny how humans are so resistant to trying new things. I, I actually, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'm going to share it right now because I think it's a really fitting way to end the episode after what you just said. But My girlfriend and I were reading yesterday about this experiment with like a rat and a human looking for cheese. And what happens is that the rat and the human go to find cheese. They find cheese. And when they go back to that same spot and there's no cheese, the rat is willing to look elsewhere. Whereas the human continues to return to that same spot in search of the cheese. And the, the sort of moral of this story is, you know, always get ready for the cheese in your life to move. Smell the cheese so often that, you know, when it's getting old and the quicker you let go of old cheese, the sooner you get to enjoy new cheese, which, guys, that's uh, that's the key to everything. I love that. I haven't heard of that study. That's great. Yeah. I'll send it to you. But thank you so much. You guys, Amanda White, Therapy for Women, her book, Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me, Allie.